You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. This time of year in the summertime, Maximizer Mineral is top grade, top shelf, top notch. Read your seed tags. Even though it's not a seed, you can read the tag. Read the back of the bag. Read your darn trophy rock or whatever crap it is you're throwing out right now. Check it out. Compare the differences. It's not all about salt content. Uh, if you go to the doctor, and I, I, I'm sure that I'm, everybody on here has been told, hey, you don't need to be eating any more salt. It's not doing anything for you. Well, it's the same way with the mineral, man. Actually, you want real minerals, not just one. Too much salt, bad, bad thing. Throw out some Maximizer Mineral. Head out to www.realworldwildlifeproducts.com and identify a dealer near you if you want to feed something out to your deer herd that actually makes a difference. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. 
to get the pilot of Red Arrow going. Just really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there are entertainers. There you <laughs> go. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz with Train Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors. The craziest two I know. Hey everybody, welcome to Pro Talk Outdoors. Uh, coming in raw, we didn't even talk about it before we hit record, but... Talk about what? Well, exactly. That's That, <laughs> that was going to be the question. What are we going to talk about this week? And I think it's a pretty uh, easy one to identify. We're recording this in the third week of September. Uh, we hope for this podcast to release very soon. Uh, things are heating up and heating up quickly. We've seemed to notice over the last several years that the third week of September shows uh, some shifts in home ranges. And that is definitely occurring on some of our farms. Not only has activity itself with all the deer herd picked up, but we had a little bit of a buck encounter on camera around 5.30 in the morning. A couple guys doing some sparring, it looked like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's that it's really typical i guess everybody sees it everybody talks about it that that shift that goes on you know you've got those bucks that stay at home you know when when they shed that velvet maybe 50 percent of them will kind of stay at home but there's still 50 percent of them that's gonna that's gonna move and go elsewhere and they're gonna spend their fall and winter range somewhere other than where they summer guys talk about it all the time you man i had this great deer in you know on camera all summer in velvet and then he just disappeared on me well he, he went somewhere else. He may have went two miles down the road or something to, to somebody else's farm. And, you know, it happens every year. It's kind of a bad thing if you're getting great pictures in the summer because sure. you know that, you know, some of those guys are going to break your heart and go somewhere else. But then it's also exciting this time of year because if you're like us, and we didn't really have much to brag about or get excited about all summer long with velvet pictures, but you know that there's a good chance – that there's going to be some bucks moving in, and that's yeah. what we're seeing right now. You know, and, there, and there's a lot of guys that don't analyze the game, I guess you could say, the same way that we do or, or folks that listen to this podcast. There's And there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't want to be that analytical about it, if you just want to grab your bow or your gun and head to the woods, I appreciate the heck out of that because you never know what might show up, that kind of thing. But it, it's the truth because some guys may, may not realize yet to this point that there's a shift that goes on every year, and – you know, that buck that we saw sparring that looked to be a pretty solid buck, maybe that was somebody else's buck most of the year. Well, yeah, and here's the thing. You know, we've got some history with that deer. You know, we do. Two years ago, uh, when that buck was two, had multiple encounters uh, coming up through there. and, and He tends to rut on yeah, us. Yeah, he does. He's he's right there. You know, now last year, didn't see him last year. So I, I don't know where he was at, what happened. But uh, this year we had several pictures of him in velvet on one part of the farm. And then he's kind of kind of doing what Ish did mm-hmm. a couple years ago, the buck that Eric killed. And so sticking with the theme, we've kind of decided to name this buck Zeke. Zeke, yep. Well, and, and it's, fun, it's funny. <laughs> the deer don't know the property lines. So it's not just they're saying, hey, I'm, you know, I live on Smith's in the summer, but I'm going to rut on Jones. It's not how they, you know, they have a, a line of their own that they decide. And it, and it seems to be that – this deer that's doing the same thing that Ish did, you know, whereas instead of leapfrogging the entire farm and going somewhere else, he just shifts enough to where 
probably part of his home range is now in the other half of our farm, and his old home range was the northern half, more or less. Right. So yeah. uh, he, he's just kind of shifted to the other part. I think he's a shooter deer. If he shows up in front of me, I'm letting one fly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, without a doubt, I'll shoot that buck if he comes by. He's a four-year-old and, and, you know, a pretty solid deer. I don't know what he would score, honestly. I mean, it's got several pictures of him in velvet, got a couple of pictures out of velvet already. I don't know, mid-30s probably. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's, a poping, like he's a poping young class deer, and where I'm at in, in my hunting career, I, I've not hit the point where I'm going to be picky with 150s, and I don't know that I ever will. Uh, to me, it's it, it's their maturity that makes them hard to kill, not how big their antlers are. Uh, they truly don't know how big they are because they don't look in the mirror. But, you know, they've got personalities, they've got tendencies, and, and mature bucks, man, they're just hard to even see on the hoof sometimes. You can't pass an opportunity on a mature Pope and Young, in my mind, for me. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, You know, as much as I would want to set in my mind that, yeah, I might pass that deer up if he comes by, I can tell you right now, there's a big difference in looking at a deer through a trail camera picture mm -hmm. and seeing him in person when he comes through. Same thing happened to me with Rhino, you know, a few years back. And uh, Rhino was a deer that... I had so many pictures of, you know, we looked at so many pictures of that deer and I never give him a second thought. I'm like, eh, nah, well, I don't want to shoot that, that deer. That year was an embarrassment of riches. Oh my gosh, it was. And then, but he went, when he walked in and I saw him, I'm like, I'm an idiot if I pass that deer up. There's no, you know, it, you never know what that deer's actually going to look like when you see him on hoof, you know? Yeah, we had several 140, 150, 160 class deer in the area, we've not even seen a deer north of 150 in the area. No. So, to no. me, a Pope and Young caliber deer is, is a shooter. Uh, it's all about where you're at. If you're in southern Georgia and your quality of bucks are low, a 120 may look great to you. That may be the, the score of a five-year-old deer down there. You never know. Depends on genetics and agriculture right. and things of that nature. But, you know, then there's folks out in, in western Illinois and Iowa that wouldn't give a deer that was anything south of 145 a second thought. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's all important to remember. I mean, you can't kill a Pope and Young deer if one doesn't exist where right. you're hunting it at, you know. Right. Hey, something I want to talk about, JP, and, and uh, you know, big fan of Mark Drury's. I, I have been ever since I started, you know, really getting serious into hunting. I uh, kind of grew up with the Drury's and, and learned a lot of what, you know, what kind of processes I go through and the ways that I base hunting off of the things that that the juries do and, and you know we had Mark Drury on the podcast a couple of times and one of the things that he talked about in length was situations that get big deer on their feet you know we talk about uh, the effects of weather being the number one thing that trumps all all movement with whitetails but number two you know, moon has an effect. When you get close to that full moon, the, the seven days preceding, it, it typically enhances morning activity. The seven days after, it, it normally enhances evening activity. And then also with the, the late setting moon in the morning or the early rising moon in the evening, we've got something special, something real special about to happen at the end of this month, you know, really close to that October 1st timeline, which... You know, I know in Indiana our season opens up and Illinois season opens up. Most every bow season will have already been open or opening around that 1st of October. 
we got something real special going to happen there. Yeah, and it's rare. Uh, this is my sixth hunting season uh, coming up. Or, well, actually, we're already in, technically. Uh, if you've kept track of this podcast, it's never happened. We talk about every single year that we've been on this show how warm the forecast is for October 1st. The coolest one I can remember in the past, well, six seasons, I think, was probably 73 degrees or so, 72 maybe. Yeah. Which, you know, by the time the sun's setting is in the high 60s, which is, you know, comfortable, but it's not uh, below average, if yeah, you will. Yeah, it, it's, it's not that below average temperature that you want to get deer on their feet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you're looking for, something that's, that's below average temperature-wise and, you know, close to that full moon and then the early rising moon. Well, that's what we've got. Everything's lining up perfect around that 1st of October. And right now, I think the projected high is 64 degrees and oh, that's, that's you know perfect. that's it that's at one o'clock by the time you right. get you get down to the nitty-gritty you're going to be in the 50s yeah so you're going to have you're going to have that below normal temperature the full moon is actually on october the first and i think the last time i checked the rising moon and it was like it uh two hours prior to sunset barometers are going to be high yeah, that high barometer, that's another thing I didn't mention earlier, but that high barometer, it's going to be, would you say, 30.2 or something like it's, that? On October 1st, it's going to be 30.1213, and then okay. on uh, October 2nd and 3rd, it's going to be north of 3.2. So it's, yeah. it's, it's truly not even one isolated day. It's a full front. And another thing the juries have pointed out is the first south after several norths, or the first yep. north after several souths. That doesn't apply here. What we're seeing... Next week and leading into the end of it is east versus west. And I think the overarching sentiment there is hunt your wind no matter what. Just because the conditions are awesome, don't run into your best rut stand. Absolutely. And here's the thing. I guess I, I, I wanted to bring all this up just because of this. If If you haven't already been looking at the forecast ahead, know that there is an honest-to-goodness potential for – the biggest buck on your property to be moving in daylight hours. Right. I mean, every all the triggers are there. All the triggers are going to be lining up. So it's not going to be one of those situations where, hey, it's October 1st, you know, ah, the big deer aren't going to move. Because here's the thing, folks. If you don't go out there and you think, well, I'm just not going to get serious about hunting until the rut, there's going to be a damn good chance that you're going to check your trail cameras later and you're going to wish that you had been hunting that first couple days of October because everything lines up correctly for big deer to be on their feet in daylight hours. And another thing to think about on that note is let's say you've got one big deer that you know of. Don't just go to your favorite stand because you think, well, that's where that deer is going to move. If you've got no record, no intel, no MRI, as people call it, of that deer moving in that area, don't go in there and blow it out. He Absolutely. may he may use it later. Just because he's he's on the property doesn't mean you need to dive into a spot that doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, by no means am I suggesting oh, go in and hunt your rump funnels or anything like that. Right. You know, be careful, be cautious. Like JP said, hunt the wind. Make sure you can get in and out without disturbing anything. But if you've got the that situation where you can get in and hunt a set um, that you can get in and out of without boogering anything up there's a really good chance that a big deer show up in, in daylight hours. Well, right now it's a it's a wester, westerly wind, so it's blowing from west over to the east. I think it's got a little bit of uh, north in it, so kind of a northwest wind. What are you looking for that time of year, uh, 
in our area, so we're in, in southern Indiana, the Ohio Valley, the Midwest, the eastern part of the Midwest, I guess, if you will. What are you looking for as Dave Barrett on October 1st with these conditions? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of – I'm going to play it safe, as safe as possible. So I'm going to – number one, I'm going to look at all my stand locations that I like. Can I – can I hunt it with that wind direction? I mean, that's number one. You know, right. first thing, you check the wind direction. You look at what options you have with that wind direction. So I'm going to look at the sets that I have available for that wind direction. And if I feel like there's there's a set that I have that I can get in and out of without screwing anything up, that's where I want to hunt. You know, obviously, hopefully that's coupling with the fact that I've got some information of a good deer there. If not, I'm still going to hunt that, but I'm going to get in and out without boogering anything up. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? I mean, we Bill Winky's the one that first said that on this podcast. It's a you know deer season's a marathon. It's not a sprint, so you don't want to booger it up right away. Uh, but you know, if I don't have something that I feel like I can get in and and I've got a big buck that I've got targeted that I think I can you know get a shot at, I'm probably going to hunt an observation set. You know, something off your traditional off the field. October first set. Yeah, I you know I don't like to get into it and and really take a risk of boogering anything up even though the conditions are right you still got to have that deer there i mean that's the main ingredient for the whole stew right you got to have the the big deer show up so Mm -hmm. if you don't have that deer and you're not getting pictures of it he's not going to magically just show up probably where he hasn't been any the last you can't couple make weeks. him show up to that spot you want him to right. show up at. Well, you, you might be able to throw out some complete feed, but you better not do that in Indiana because <laughs> it's against the law. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And if uh, if you're in Kentucky, you probably should have already thrown it out and tried to get him on this past cold front. Uh, I think another thing you need to look for the first week of October are the, the first falling acorns. They seem If you've got a green food source, I would probably almost hit that because ours seem to be so hot right now. Uh, and I know there's acorns in that area, but something has made – well, it, I, I know what the something is. The real-world clover chick, chicory blend is just tremendous. But if you've got a green, maybe hit the green. But if you don't, catch those first falling acorns. There might not be as many, you know, so they haven't been pulled to it yet because there's not much on the buffet. But if they're there, they're candy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Persimmons. If you've got persimmons, they're they're falling on the ground yeah, right now. Yeah, and every year we see that. I mean, you see that every year with that. When that mass crop starts falling, it's almost like most of the time your your food plots will – you'll go from getting thousands of pictures in a week on a food plot to getting a couple hundred maybe. And the reason being is because that, that mass crop starting to hit the ground. You know, those, those white oaks are, are dropping acorns down and – uh, you know, the red oaks, something, you know, and, and the deer will key on that. They'll switch over to that, and they'll spend most of their time in cover, uh, bedding close to those, and then feeding on those. So the trick is with that, and, and this is just me thinking out loud, I hate going into those areas, you know. I well, mean, it's a flow it's chart. Risky. It's a flow chart, it's, or it's one of those if-then statements. So if your wind is good and your oak tree is, you know, near an easy in and easy out, then hunt it. If your oak tree is dropping acorns, is bad for a west wind, then you don't hunt it. You know, you've seen those charts exactly. that draw the lines on what your correct answer is. That's essentially what you're creating. Always go back to steps one, two, and three on the wind and the intrusion. Uh, it's it's complex. It really is. It's a lot of layers to peel back. I mean, I think back six years ago, I was flipping clueless. And I can't wait to say six years from today that I'm clueless today. Oh, it'll happen because I, you know, I've been at this for over 30 years and 
I still feel clueless. <laughs> every year I learn things. It's like, man, I was an idiot last year for doing that. You know, it, it happens every year. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think you're absolutely right. I think the conditions are really lining up great. It's going to be a tough call for you and I on whether we want to sit together and film or whether we want to try to divide and conquer. It, it's normally an easy choice. Somebody just hunt and the other guy films because it's 74 degrees and we don't really expect to see yeah. much. Uh, on this, who knows? If we've got MRI that occurs between now and, and a week from now that indicates there's multiple good bucks to hunt, maybe we need to divide. Uh, and, and that's the beauty about the way this is falling out is it seems like that third week of September is when such a shift occurs. Well, that only gives you seven days to figure out who's shifting into this spot and do you dive in and hunt it on October 1st. Yeah. We don't have much time to gather this intel. No, we don't. But thank, thank the good Lord for, for cell cameras because, oh, you know, they, they help out a ton with, uh, you know, being able to to check those things out without getting in and boogering it up. And I, I, I got to tell you, JP, I mean, it's been a game changer for me because, man, I I can't even tell you the last time I checked cameras. I actually went out and changed cards and cameras. It's probably been at least three or four weeks. Yeah, I mean, and you and used to be a habitual offender. Well, it was before season started in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I haven't checked cameras since then, you know, because I've got cell cams sending me pictures, and it's awful nice to, you know, you and I sending pictures back and forth. Hey, <laughs> look yeah, look what, what was on mine yeah, this look, morning. look what we had there, so it's pretty neat. Well, and and another thing for you Indiana hunters that are tuning in, uh, turkey season opens back up October 1st. Uh, if, if you want to shoot one with a bow, go and get your license for it. Uh, it looks like we're going to have an opportunity oh, to man. hunt a lot of birds. They're killing that deadly dozen over there. Uh, between gosh. between our shared property there. And I shouldn't say deadly. They're on the clover also. Absolutely. I mean, true. They are. True. I mean, between our shared property and then, uh, you know, the, the farm I'm moving on shortly, we got a lot of birds, man. Yeah. A lot of birds. So it's going to be an exciting episode. I uh, just want to let you know we're going to have Terry Peer from Real World Wildlife Products and the Chasing Giants podcast on to uh, talk about a whole host of things. He's he's had a, a very interesting start to his season as a hunter, uh, not to mention some challenges before that. Uh, and then we're going to talk some awesome, awesome stuff as part of uh, just planning out your farm and hunting it correctly in regards to food and, and some other things of that nature. So be sure to tune in and uh, stick around for the next segment. You're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors. Oh, that, this might make the cut. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome back to Pro Talk Outdoors. Uh, teased it in the first segment. I, I can't even really call it a tease. I, I outright spoiled it. I said that Terry Peer was going to Come on and, and join us uh, from Real World Wildlife Products and the Chasing Giants podcast. And Terry, number one, thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, one of the you've had a, an interesting off season, and we'll touch on a good bit of those kind of things as well as how your season has opened up. But uh, one thing that you have been doing on social media that's pretty visual uh, here lately, and, it, and it's very detailed, I might add, is a cell cam test. And Dave and I were talking about cell cams in the the first segment. It seems to me that you've really touched on almost every major brand and, and you've really put some thought into the pluses, minuses, and a, a lot of the dirty details that might sway a consumer one direction or the other. Uh, what was the impetus to start that study? Um, I was pissed off because I didn't feel I was getting the value that I was supposed to be getting out of cell cams. Um it's like a few years ago when, before we got fiber optics we, out here in the country, um, our internet would go out. So I started tracking how many days a week, or yeah, how many days a month our internet would be out. 
and then I would call customer service at AT&T and demand a refund if my cable bill was X amount every month. I wanted a refund for the days it wasn't working. Well, they weren't too keen to that, believe it or not. And I feel like cell consumers are paying money, whether it's an entry-level camera or if it's a high-end camera, and they're still battling a lot of issues out there because of some marketing gimmicks that are out there, and they just don't pick the right camera for what they want to do. And the more I got to looking at it, talking to people, you know, we have a lot of connections in the industry just like you guys do. Everybody has a favorite brand that they feel comfortable with, but when you start digging into it, the situation between people to people is always different. So I think that there's a market for all of these cameras. I just wanted to help consumers say this is the right one for what I want, meaning price point, performance, uh, the setup where the picture is going to, you know, the deer is going to be in the frame. Is it going to be further out in the food plot? Is it going to be six feet away on a scrape? And trying to provide some unbiased information to consumers to help make the decision. That's really what started it. Well, I want to um, I want to key in on one thing you mentioned there, uh, the word comfort. Uh, comfort level for me has always been something that swayed my purchase or, or not on a trail camera and how comfortable I was in it being easy to use. You know, A, I, I tended, especially when I first started using them, to be a little intrusive, probably more than I should have, and put them in some tight places. And when you do that, you really are putting all your chips in that it's going to work the exact way it's supposed to work, and you're going to get the intel you want out of it. But then when you dive back in and kind of booger that spot back up to go check it, come to find out it didn't work in the first place. So sometimes I would choose comfort over quality, and I kind of learned my lesson on that as well as uh, where, to, where to better place trail cameras. But, I mean, what's the main thing you've discovered about these? Is it that there's a, a tiered level of quality or that, you know, it's kind of just a, a mixed bag and there's not that much difference between A and Z? Well, the first thing I learned is that I tackled more than I really wanted to. Um, you know, I mean, but let's face it, it gives me the opportunity to talk deer hunting and deer hunting related stuff every night of the week. I come home from work, I have a normal job, and I'm not kidding. I'm answering 60, 70 uh, direct messages or emails asking questions. And, you know, so far the feedback has been very positive. They've appreciated my approach in it. Um, I've had trail cameras that were not companies that were not involved in the test that I don't even know reach out to me wanting to know why they weren't involved in the test. And it's like, you know, come on, I can't, I mean, I paid for all these cameras. I didn't solicit, even though I could have gone to all these camera companies and say, give me one to test. I paid for all these cameras to prove that it was unbiased. And if I had a bad experience with the camera or I had a close friend that I knew had a bad experience with the camera, I wasn't investing more money to test it again, basically. So I had to weed it off. And there was basically six cameras out there that were kind of getting some buzz and that was the start of the methodology but i told everybody up front that this was going to be a long process i would report the findings the good the bad as i went along but let's face it everybody in this everybody that hunts fishes golf they want the quick gratification they want to go buy the next little gadget that's going to help them kill a booner and when I figured out there was no little gadget that 
helped you kill a booner other than find a booner. <laughs> you know, that's the biggest that's the <laughs> sure. difficult part about Step it. Step one. Um, you know, there is no quick fix, and it's it's a it's finding things that work for you. So over a period of time, so this test is not something that I draw a conclusion to. So not only has companies called me and said, "We'll send you the camera, put our camera in for free," you know, "We'll send it to you for free, put it in the in the mix with it," and I'm standing my ground and saying no. The camera companies that I had chosen, that I went and bought a camera, they want to provide coupons for me to tell all the listeners to go buy their camera, which I won't do because it's not that I don't want the listeners. Wow. Giants to Wait a minute. Can you touch on that money. a little? So, so these yeah, camera so, companies that you're testing, yeah. they're wanting you, they're sending you coupons saying, yeah, hey, if you say ours is better. For 20 bucks off. No, no, no. They're not bribing me. Okay. 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 I thought I heard that wrong. I was like, whoa. No, they're just, they're just saying, hey, you know, uh, we, you know, you're getting a lot of uh, people are asking questions. Here's twenty dollars off coupon for Chasing Giants. Share them with your listeners to buy our camera. And I refuse to use it because you know that shows bias. I'm not going to recommend something. And at the end of the day, guys, there's not going to be a winner to this. My goal is to show this camera has some bookends that if you have this budget and you know these are the expectations you're getting out of the camera, it's the right one for you. If, if you're wanting this out of it, don't buy a, the $100 camera. Save your money for two more months and put a little bit more in it and spend 265 or 300 and buy this camera because it gives you that much more capability. No one has ever that I've known at it come in with an unbiased approach to say, I'm not a pro staff. I'm not sponsored by any of them. Go buy this one because it's the best. I, I'm just trying to give people some tools to make the right decision for themselves and the right decision for people is going to be different for jp than it's going to be for dave than it's going to be for terry than it's going to be for don i love it i love the idea and i've enjoyed keeping track of it and and seeing what your thoughts were uh so today i I got i got the most awesome picture ever and i actually sent it to jp as uh soon as i got it Uh uh-huh i'm actually I'll, i'll i'll let you all use that picture if you want uh, to promo this since we're talking about cell camera pictures I actually got a picture first time in all these years of running as many cameras as I have I got what appears to be a mother bobcat with two baby bobcats so we oh, wow. we were discussing that Terry you've you've determined that it is a mother then yeah I mean I've 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 looked at it on a computer screen and she's definitely bigger than the other two so we're gonna con- I'm not a wildlife biologist by any means she still is small uh, but she's definitely that other, the third one back is, is bigger than the other two. So for my inexperienced self, I'm going to say that it's probably the mother with two cubs. And, I mean, just fascinating picture. Um, I'll actually give that to you guys, and you guys can share that picture to promote the, the episode if you guys want. That would be great. Um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll bring it up when I talk about that was actually taken on the Tacticam reveal camera. Um, today, I think it was this morning. I, I didn't even look at the date real close. And it was in great daylight, too, uh, yeah. which was odd to me. You don't see as much uh, bobcat activity in, in daylight. At least I don't know that I've ever seen another trail camera photo in daylight from anybody I know. So, I mean, look, guys, it, part of me wishes I never did this because I could have just, I mean, I spent $1,500 of my own money to go buy these six cameras that, 
probably will never even make my cut list because I have a higher expectation of what I want out of a cell camera than these are probably going to provide. Now, some of them are getting pretty close. I'm getting sold on two of them that I'm really liking them, but I'm a long way from making that decision. But the amount of work to it is to manage, because I even have two other cell cameras that aren't in this test that I have apps on my phone watching them. So I have a total of eight different apps that I'm managing data plans, pictures, and documenting everything on it. Um, you, I had to do a lot of studying about how I, in, infrared interferes from camera to camera. So when I set these things up, a lot of people make the mistake of, well, they don't trust a cell cam, so they put a regular camera with it. Well, if you put them vertically above each other in the nighttime, the infrared from the bottom one interferes with the top one, and you'll end up with blurry pictures in the top or false triggers or triggers that or triggers late, the timing's off. Really, to do a true test at nighttime, you have to separate them about 20 yards away. Um, I have, uh, in Illinois right now, a wise eye on video mode, and 32 yards away from it to the right, so it's not linearly, so kind of diagonal, is a reconics camera facing back. So think about a, um, where a community scrape is every year that I know one. So one camera is facing north and one camera is facing west. They're 32 yards away from each other. That video of the wise eye with that deer walking through that got transferred to me to my um, to my app, it shows the flash of the IR from a reconics 32 yards away. Wow. That that if you were standing in front of it, you wouldn't be able to see it with the human eye, but. So much I've learned so much about how these cameras, you know, interfere with each other, how to do the test. Um, I'm going to draw a preliminary conclusion after hunting season, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm bringing all six cameras back. I'm going to obviously milk it for what I can through hunting season. And then uh, in January, uh, our church actually has this big, like, multi-purpose field that they play soccer and flag football on. I'm going to drive stakes 20 yards apart and put all six cameras in a straight row facing, and then we're going to chalk the field. And I'm going to drive the Quiet Cat bike or my uh, Kubota side-by-side, and we're going to stage it off. I'll drive them by it um, at, like, 5 yards, at 10 yards, at 20 yards, at 30 yards. And then we'll do it at daytime and night, to get, and that's going to tra- te- uh, test your trigger. And then we're going to do a follow where the somebody's on one vehicle and somebody's on another at a controlled speed to get the recovery time. So part of the thing in cell cameras missing a lot of pictures is it's trying to send that data through a text message, phone call, what have you. The camera doesn't take the next picture. So that's why you're missing so many pictures a lot of times with cell cams. So that's the only way in a controlled environment you're going to be able to test this stuff. So after I get through that stage, I'm going to just basically watch. Of Verizon networks, are they running off of AT&T, or are there some of them that's just kind of got their own network that's separated, and does that have any kind of effect into your findings? Five of the six, I purchased Verizon plans because Verizon for the area in Illinois that these are at, AT&T doesn't work very well. One of the cameras, Wisei, uses a different technology where it piggybacks off of other towers. Um, okay. So it's AT&T based, but it bounces off of everything else. 
so it's a little bit different technology. Um, I think they are coming out with a Verizon plan for the people that just say, I want Verizon. Um, they just don't want to look at the new technology. Um, it gets over my head really quick, but um, I made a point that all the cameras are using the exact same SD card. They really hope it helps people, um, to be honest with you, um, but it, it's been a lot of work. It sounds like it. I mean, is your plan to sell all of these at the end of it and try to recoup some of this cost? I mean, it's been a pretty extensive financial investment. Um, I haven't really thought about that, honestly. I don't I don't know. I guess on um, either that or I'll donate them for raffles or everything. I kept all the packaging, so uh, we'll do something with them. Well, it's just one of a couple things that have happened to you or, or been going on recently that's that's been pretty interesting. Uh you know, our last podcast episode, we, we kind of chronicled uh, Justin Lanclo and his fall that sort of changed uh, his entire dynamic and, and outlook on the outdoors. But you're a guy that, that's dealing with an injury as well that, that's kind of recurring, if I'm not mistaken. You've had knee issues before, am I correct? No, I've never. I've had, a, I've had shoulder reconstruction. Shoulder, okay. Yeah, I mean – here, here you guys got a major league pitcher, my buddy Tony, on an episode a couple of weeks ago. See, that could have been me if I didn't blow my shoulder when I was 18. Man, I, I was just, I'm, I'm just yeah. I was, I was horrible. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing in my gene pool that's going to be a professional athlete. As soon as we got off the phone with Tony, JP and I were like, man, I'd just like to step in the box against him. You oh, know? absolutely. I'm not. I'd be freaked out. I don't even like getting in the box with my uh, – 12-year-old daughter pitching. <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. So, but, yeah, um, I had a I had an, a pretty severe injury actually putting food plots in. Um, I was We finished mine up, and I was helping a neighbor. Um, just dumb series of events. Um, I was riding on a tractor, uh, holding on to the roll bar above the seat, and the tractor shifted, and it was right. I mean, just... It's, it's just one of those things. You're around equipment enough that the tractor shifted right as I was changing hands. I started to lose my balance, and um, this tractor did not have fenders that went out over the rear tire. And I just felt myself falling into that rear tire as it was the tractor was moving. And if you're around equipment and tractors enough, you know that you stay away from that rear tire. It will suck you underneath real quick. And um, I just jumped to get away from it. Um, I landed in rotivated dirt that was about eight inches deep with my toes up, my heels down, and went straight to a catcher's squat. And my right knee, I felt it pop. Um, I texted my wife immediately and said I just blew my knee. But I ended up tearing my ACL, MCL, LCL, both meniscus, and had two fractures in my tibia. That's about as bad a knee injury as you can possibly get. I mean, that's... My, my, my PCL was still there. That was the only one I didn't get. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was it was rough. Um, as bad as that is, though, Terry, I mean, that's actually not a bad outcome because if you would have got sucked under that tire... Um, you may not we, be talking to us right we, now. We would be talking Absolutely. about Terry Peer in the past tense. So, I mean, it, I don't regret the decision of jumping. I mean, I regret the decision of riding up there. That was stupid. Um, shouldn't have done that, but you know we were we were uh, broadcasting beans and going from one food plot to another. And I mean, how many times have you jumped up and sat on the fender or stood on the back of a tracker? I mean, I've done yeah. it since I was a little kid. Um, 
if I wouldn't have, I mean, you think about all this, and if I wouldn't have been changing hands, I was actually getting ready to get off. He was getting ready to stop uh, stop the tractor, and I was just turning to get ready to get off when he stopped, and that's when the uh, the tractor hit a furrow that we didn't get the rotavator all the way over to, and it just shifted a little bit. And, I mean, it wasn't, I wish I was smart enough to say I thought about it and made an educated, it's just instinct. I mean, you, like I said, when you've been around equipment as much as I have grown up, you learn to stay away from that rear tire. And so it happened. So they had to let the fractures heal up in my tibia um, for about, I think we, we needed to wait about four weeks. We ended up waiting five. And then I had surgery on, um, reconstructive surgery on... July 17th, so I am nine weeks out on uh, knee reconstruction right now. And so what's what's the outlook for your deer season with that? I know you've already been hunting some, but obviously you've got some limitations currently, and, and when do you think those are going to be lifted? So we, <laughs> the doctor is, um, one of the doctors is a hunter, the other one isn't. And when we started talking about timeline, I said, I need to walk by the first week of September. And he's what's going on? I was like, it's deer season. I'm hunting opening weekend of Kentucky deer season. And this guy's just like looking at me like I'm an idiot. And I'm like, no, I'm dead serious. We're pick a date. We're going to make it happen. And he said, I will be on crutches for six to eight weeks after surgery. Mm. Um, because they were just, they were planning on trimming my meniscus, not sewing it. So he's like, if we really, really fight hard, we can get six weeks. Well, six weeks was to the day actually one day different. I had surgery on a Friday. Six weeks later on a Saturday is opening day of deer season. I said, book it. I said, we're going to make it. Um, So I was walking without crutches in about three and a half weeks. Actually, the doctor doesn't know it, but I top-seeded, double-cropped my soybean field two and a half weeks after surgery. Oh, Oh, man. (laughs) So I was on crutches somewhat <laughs> with a broadcast spreader walking through real world soybeans <laughs> broadcasting plot topper and oats two and a half weeks after surgery oh man but, um i just i fought and it was it was grueling and it still is um so as of right now i've even been released to walk without a brace on hard solid flat surfaces at only nine weeks in so um i'm really blessed that i had great surgeons great pt people They think I'm absolutely nuts. Um, I'm not allowed to climb a tree yet, um, but I expect to be released to be able to do that um, probably by about mid-October. If I'm not released to do it, I'm going to put my big post-surgery brace on, and I'm going to do it anyway. It's not going to keep me from being in a tree. Is it it too late to, like, install a couple dumb waiters where you can just kind of use a pulley and... (laughs) I yourself oh, up. So you're opening up this can of worms I, with the love swing. Yeah, you, you need you just enact the love swing and the you know yeah, the, the the pulley the system. He was gonna buy it. We we picked on we picked on uh, Wes, um, <laughs> and it was just an inside joke about using a tree saddle. Mm-hmm. And some people overheard it. Then we use it as an inside joke on chasing giants, and we have nothing against people who saddle hunt, but it's just. It's taken a life of its own with this joke, and because Don said he was going to buy me a tree saddle and put a winch and a pulley <laughs> at the top of every tree, 
And in the mornings, he was going to go up there and winch me up, and then the night come back and winch me down. And this thing is just taking a oh, it's there's even a picture of me hanging from a tree in a safety harness. It, it's it's gotten out of control. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think if I if I had to right now, I could climb a ladder stand with no problem. Um, I would make sure that you know, obviously, I, if I'm walking out in a field or anything that's got potential to be unlevel, I got to have my brace on. But if if it came to it. Um, uh, I think I could get in the ladder stand right now without without risking anything. The worst thing we do would be to injure it and have to start this whole process again and miss the rut. So, although I am being aggressive, I'm not going to do anything to risk that. Yeah, absolutely not. So I, I know in in following uh, you know you and Don on Chasing Giants and listening to the podcast. Which, by the way, folks, if you haven't if you haven't tuned in to Chasing Giants podcast, you need to do so. It's you know Don and Terry do a fantastic job. It's uh, Lots and lots of information, and you might hear something about love swings and things like that. So definitely <laughs> tune into that. But so the fact that that um, you know I've listened to the most recent episode, Terry, and I happen to know that you're chasing after a pretty special deer. And uh, if you want to take us through some of that, go ahead and do that. But I I want to ask a question on that. So given the fact that you are limited somewhat in your approaches now because of your knee. How are you? How are you managing that to still try to get in on that deer? I mean, take us through that thought process and what you're doing to try to set up on that deer. All right. So when I got hurt, I mean, immediately, other than the when you get hurt and so much of your life and your passion revolves around coaching fast pitch softball and trying to make a difference in kids' lives, because you know I got all these kids that rely on me through the summer and then your passion of hunting, I immediately focus to those two things and what am I going to do to my family, you know, the burden I'm going to be to them. And uh, you you just start having to plan and prepare. And the best thing that happened is also the worst thing that happened. When I got hurt, I had to wait for that tibia. to to heal a little bit because they have to drill the hole. I had the transplant. Uh, They didn't harvest my quad tendons. So they actually drill a hole through your femur and your tibia and lace new tendons in. So I had those, that four or five weeks to basically plan and prep. How am I going to take care of, excuse me, around the house? How am I going to um, get people to cover for me for softball? How am I going to prepare for early season? For some reason, I've had decent luck hunting from the ground. So I'm not I'm not against it. I kind of understand um, and at least have been successful with some ideas with it, especially in early season. So in that, in that period of time, my plan immediately shifted. I try to tag out in Kentucky in September every year anyway. That's always my goal. That way I can focus on shifting to Illinois and hunting with my kids here through the rest of the season, but I try to get out of the out of the way and done on a target buck in September. So immediately, um, I already had uh, the, the the blind is actually a ground blind built on a deck on a real steep hill that I shot the buck, the six and a half year old last year called T3. I still had that that blind set up over a food plot that was already planted. I just went into what other ground blinds can I put in to be able to hunt the big alfalfa field which is where most of my early season activity is with different winds 
and uh, I've been very fortunate to kill a lot of deer in early season in Kentucky when I learned to be able to hunt the wind in early season in a way that you can get out without boogering the deer. And that's really become the secret sauce for me in Kentucky is find a way to hunt between the bed because most of the time the deer is bedded really close to the food source. Find a way to get in, and then the hard part is early season when you're hunting like an alfalfa field like me is being able to get out without blowing 32 deer out of the field. So that was my focus for the month of June through July 4th holiday was coming up with these different areas that I could get in and out and was able to put in a few of those. So everything other than east wind, a straight east wind, I can hunt that food plot. Now, I might not be in a prime area, but I can get in and out and hunt it. So um, as far as Illinois goes, um, I'm fortunate enough to have been able to hunt the same properties up there year after year. I bought ladder stands and hauled them up there and rode around on the side-by-side, and West Delks went up them and hung all of my ladder stands. So I have the same sets I would normally have my lone wolf in where I go in. Wes went in in uh, early August in the exact same trees that I would be hunting in with a lock on and a set of sticks. He put ladder stands up for me. Man, what a guy. Yeah, so that was awesome. He drove he drove over an hour to meet me over there, and he's I think he's part monkey anyway. He can shimmy up a tree. He's still young and skinny. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> so you mentioned the buck that's here. Um, to say special, I mean, he is not a giant by any means. Um, I mean, he's a very good deer. Um, I seem to – I only have one deer over 170, and I keep staying in this 160 mark. He's going to be in that 160 to 165 mark. I'm just a f- fantastic deer for the state of Kentucky. I mean, I'm, I'm – for this, for for uh, bucks that we have here, just an absolute whopper. Um, a little bit of history with him, not years and years and years, but a little bit of history. Um, I have now hunted for him five times and seen him on every hunt. So again, that goes back to the discipline we talk about chasing giants on that podcast. I only hunt when the wind's right. I only hunt when the conditions are right. So the less I hunt, the more deer I've actually start seeing for the sake, instead of just hunting for the sake of hunting. So um, I actually had a shot at him. I should be tagged out. He should already be at the taxidermist. But, um, you know, this whole knee injury had, and it's not an excuse. I'm not making an excuse at all. It still comes back to uh, my lack of good preparation for the season. Somehow I missed uh, some fray on the crossbow string that I was using, and as I pulled the trigger to shoot, this thing blew up right underneath those. Um, it'd be a week and a half ago. Oh man, so, bad luck. Um, so I mean, the deer, the deer is at thirty, I think thirty-six yards. When I went to shoot, the the bolt only went like twenty yards. Um, but it broke when I released the string. Uh, luckily, I'm not hurt. I mean, I can say that the same thing about jumping off the tracker. At least I'm not underneath the tracker. Mm-hmm. Um, so immediately, my thing is, I mean, I'm fuming. I won't lie. Um, the crossbow blowing up sounded like a bomb went off. And the, the buck ran, but the other 30 deer that were in the field probably ran because of the profanities that were coming out. <laughs> when it happened, I mean, I was pissed. Um, um, and I'm on the phone walking out the field. I'm, I'm My bo- blood's boiling over, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have some very good connections. And uh, 
um, Dustin up at Broken Rack Archery on the east side of Cincinnati. I texted him that night, and he said this was Sunday night. He goes, I'll be back in the shop Tuesday morning, bring it up here. So, I mean, he was prepared to give me loaners while we did the warranty claim on on the crossbow and get it fixed, and I ended up just buying a new one and getting that one fixed, and I'll, I'll sell it or give it away or something at the end. But my biggest concern then is, okay, how do I get back on this deer? Uh, I stayed away for, that was Sunday night, Friday night, I went back and glassed. He was in the field in the exact same place. Um, hunted for him Saturday, saw him at about 200 yards. Uh, I got a picture of him last night in the, in the alfalfa field on the cell cam. But, so he's, he's still there, luckily. I'm starting to worry now that my time's running out and he's probably going to shift. But um, if he does what he does last year and nobody else kills him, then I should have a couple more shots at him. So if I don't, it is what it is. I mean, it's um, let's just uh, let's just face it. 2020 has sucked for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> That's a fact. I mean, <laughs> what do you expect, right? I mean, I, I should have I should have a whopper of a deer at a um, at a um, taxidermist right now, but I mean, it is what it is. So, uh, do we, do you have a, a roll with the punches? Do you have a wind direction showing up on the the forecast that you think you can slide in and? And give it another go, or I mean, Not what's to make you guys feel guilty? But I could have hunted tonight, but I didn't. Oh, oh much, man! That's how much I love you guys. Oh, Terry! I mean, hey, that... for future reference, it's okay <laughs> if you just say, "Dude, I got the right wind direction. We're going to reschedule this, or we'll, you know, do it later in the evening or something." Here's the thing about my life, okay? I'm I am so blessed to be friends with some of the best outdoorsmen in the world that I can learn from because I don't claim to know squat. I've just been fortunate to hunt a lot of areas and learn as much as I can and had had good luck. Um, right now, my schedule is so busy, but it's awesome because I got all these kids that missed out on softball season last year and summer travel ball this year. I'm going high school varsity practice on Mondays and Thursdays, and I'm doing travel ball practices on Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturday mornings. So, I mean, I got all these kids that have been cooped up for this long that finally get a chance to get back on the field that I'm, I'm running with them almost every night and trying to hunt a little bit. Listen, I, I'm going to have my shot at some good bucks this year. I got some absolute toads in Illinois on camera that we have history with. It, it's it's not about me at this point. It, it's like the cell camera test. If if I can make a difference somewhere else, I've had I'm I've had great success. I'm going to continue to have great opportunities for success. Um, it is what it is. I mean, it's uh, I'm not worried about it. Well, well, good things happen to to good folks, and uh, we're we're pulling for you, and I, I think it's going to work out. I, I want to ask you though. I mean, part of part of the uh, the discussion I wanted to have tonight was, uh, and you've already touched on it a little bit, is hunting two states that are, are so far away, um, and obviously you've got all these other challenges that have come up for you to to open the year. How do you plan hunting that big gap? Obviously, you've got some cell cams, so that helps. But how do you structure that? Do you plan you know, day to day, week to week, you know, do you do a 10 day forecast? And, and also how do you plant food based on your expectation of travel time between your home state of Kentucky and then your uh, vacation state, if you will, of Illinois? Sure. That's a great question. Um, and it, 
it all depends on I have kind of an A plan and B plan, for lack of better terms. If I tag out in Kentucky in September before Illinois starts, that changes my whole game plan. If I still have, excuse me, a Kentucky tag when Illinois starts, then I'm hunting whatever the best chance I have at killing a good one is. If I think that's going to be in Illinois, that's where I go. If I think that's going to be in Kentucky, that's where I'll stay. The thing about Kentucky is I have more food here than anybody within about three miles. So if I don't get the opportunity in September, I'm not real worried about it because late season is going to be phenomenal here. You know what I mean? So um, with the late season food plots that I have here, um, but, you know, if I, got a, if I got a buck still showing up in alfalfa and the weather's not turned cold and he's still eating that because the, the feed value is still high and I got a good shot at killing him, I'll stay home. Um, it just depends on what I have. So I read, I read Illinois. <laughs> it's funny, the guys from Trail Cam Radio were here, and they, they were, I was on their podcast last week, and they were peppering me on moon phase. And I'm like, dude, I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. And maybe that's why I don't have the net boom. But, um, but I said, I always look at, at weather. Um, I know moon is important. I just, I'm not good enough to understand it all yet. So I'll sit here. Luckily, I can be... The farm in Illinois is only three and a half hours away at most. I can even be to Don's in four hours. So if I'm looking at that and I see temp drops, a front, and the right wind direction for my stands, I'll go to Illinois. I've actually gone up and back for a hunt. I've driven up in the afternoon, been there for the afternoon, evening hunt, and driven home that night um, if I think that there's going to be a good shot at killing one. Um, I always plan hunting November rut in Illinois. I never put the rut in Kentucky. Um, and then uh, I always put in for a shotgun tag in Illinois. So that's a, you know, that's a, just a season. We just, it's kind of our boys trip. We go up there and hunt shotgun. Season. So, but it, October is really the, the one that there's kind of, it's up in the air. And it's really based on whether I've tagged out in Kentucky or not and what's going on with weather in Illinois. So you're pretty much able to pivot almost within the same day at times. To Absolutely. Because that's what I love about this, the property in Illinois. It's close enough that I can react and go quickly, um, but I have to go to Illinois because I get two out-of-state buck tags there. So I look at it from a, I'm, you, know, you know me, I'm always business-related. I could go to Ohio or Indiana, but it's their one-buck state. So I have to put all the time and effort into food plots, tree stands, cameras, and all this stuff. I can amortize that cost and time over two potential bucks versus I go to Ohio or Indiana, which might be an hour closer or maybe even the same length of time to drive. Same cost. The, the tags are more expensive in, in Illinois. But with Illinois, I get two out-of-state buck tags. So that's why I that's why we've gone to Illinois all these years, except for when you know EHD set in for in 2012. We left that place alone for about four years and didn't hunt it. But um, but that's that's why I go there. Uh, we're very lucky to have some great properties um, that that a family uh, um, helps us out with, and um, we don't do any real dedicated food plots. They just have a lot of ag, and we do go in and double crop and put in a couple small kill plots, but for the most part, we're just hunting ag field. 
Well, obviously you're going to chronicle a lot of this pursuit on, on Chasing Giants, and I know we're looking forward to that, and I think uh, a lot of our listeners are, are listeners of yours as well. Uh, but before we let you go, we want to touch on Chasing Giants a little bit and just how much it's it's truly grown. Uh, did you anticipate it would grow into the popularity that it has? And obviously, I mean, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, do you have do you want to grow more? What's the plan there? Well, we we Don first asked me to do this, and you know me, I don't like being in front. I'm I'm more behind the scenes guy. Um, it, it's still hard to believe that now this is the fourth podcast interview I've had in like the last month and a half that people actually want to talk to me, which is still kind of weird when you think about it or when I think about it. Um, Don came and approached me on it, and there's there's two reasons that Don says he wanted me to do it. Number one, we don't always agree on everything, and I'm not scared to tell Don I don't agree with you on it. Um, you know, Don unfortunately has had people surround him in his life that um, they want to be close to him, but they end up being puppets. You know, they okay, whatever you say. Um, we just have the relationship, and it hasn't always been a great relationship. We've gotten in really bad arguments before. Um, you know, you're just guys, and five minutes later, it's okay. But, you know, we talk openly about what we don't agree with, and that's part of the show. We have two different style of hunters. We have two people um, that hunters can relate with on different scopes of their hunting journey. In other words, Don is so far ahead of basically everyone. And you got me that's kind of tagging along trying to learn and you know but I'm, I'm not someone who's just started either I, I have been able and fortunate enough to kill some good ones so it, it's it, it's it's kind of just not having two guys always saying the same thing it's it's putting two perspectives of two different hunting styles two different uh, locations um, and people that don't agree on a lot of things um, talking about different things that that people can do to increase their chances um, as far as am I surprised that many people are at following it, yes and no, but I have to remind myself they're not listening pretty much for me. They're listening for Don. So am I surprised everyone, the amount of people are listening for Don? No. Am I surprised people care what I have to say? Yeah, that still doesn't ring a bell with me. Um, you know, the guys, um, I said um, Whitetail Cribs was at my house. That, that episode, I think, is being published next week. Um, and it's going to be out. I mean, just shocking that somebody wants to come here and, and look at my trophy room. It's 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 kind of surreal, to be honest with you. But um, it started, and I, I challenged him to actually break away a little bit from Real World or Real World Whitetails, which used to be a video, um, just to diversify and build that brand of Chasing Giants so that he had the option. I said, Don, if you want to get and start your t a TV show if you want to start documenting footage if you want to roll your land consulting into this you know chasing giants would be a brand and a platform to continue to grow um, as he is making a full-time living in the outdoor industry I'm not um, so the first stage of that was the podcast and we established the brand and it's taken off like crazy um, you know for the 60,000 people that listen thank you very much it's surreal um, but the, um, the, um, the, the, the momentum is going to keep going. So 
Um, Don has uh, developed a YouTube channel that is Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors. That's kind of his land consulting company. We're putting a lot of the, the information that we talk about in Chasing Giants into tutorial videos. There's going to be hunts. So, um, you know, you really need to check out uh, Chasing Giants Higgins Outdoors on YouTube because that's where a lot of that information is going to be more visual for people that want to watch a five to six minute video. Um, Steve Shields, who I think has been a guest on your all's podcast. Yep. Yes, yep. So Steve is doing all the production work for that. And he does fantastic so, work. So, yeah, we have one of the best guys ever in the business uh, doing the production work for that. So it's not only high quality, but it's it's great content. So that's going to continue to evolve. Uh, the, the format of the podcast is a little bit different. Um, you guys have a great niche where you'll bring in experts, except for the week that I'm on. <laughs> things. We primarily, it's just Don and I talking about, because honestly, that man works every single day of the year for something to do with his deer herd or his habitat, right? So that, that podcast is really traveling his journey through the year of everything he's doing. The one exception to that is this coming Saturday, which or Sunday, which um, I'm not sure when Pro Talk this this episode will be released. We actually just recorded an episode with Dr. Uh, Bronson um, out of Mississippi State Deer Lab, and it's phenomenal, guys. Um, it's going to release Sunday, um, the 27th. Will this be out by then? Should be. It should be. Yeah, yeah should should release on Friday. The twenty seventh, it'll be released and, and go to go to Higgins Outdoors uh Chasing Giants YouTube channel. Um and it'll be on the other pl- platforms. Guys, we it's it's a little bit longer episode. We talked for like an hour and twenty minutes, but he kicks off the bat talking about fetal programming in a way that just makes your jaw drop. Because all these guys that talk about, and he even touches on dispersal, you know, when a buck, a buck fawn gets to a year and a half and that mother kicks it away, this attitude where land managers say, well, I can't make a difference. His study actually was proved that every deer has the genetic potential. His research has proven this. Every deer has the genetic potential to be a giant. But... The fetal programming in the environment that that doe lives in and eats at while she's pregnant will dictate the future genetic potential of that animal. But if we change the habitat and the conditions in which that doe uh, is in when she's pregnant, we change the characteristics of what that deer can be when it's four and five years old. And it's just like you, you start wrapping your mind around this and say, okay, well, you know, I can make a difference. Oh, but wait, what about those bucks that push off? And you, you only set on uh, 25% of the bucks that stay. He talks about the bucks when they shift, how they relocate to areas with that desire the same habitat that you created for that doe when she was pregnant. So he just does an unbelievable job talking about and intertwining how our habitat can make a difference he took deer that was trapped in like the delta region the ag and then the big timber pines the three big um um, uh, type of landscapes down in mississippi and ended up getting the same type of results when if you see deer in the wild they're 150 160 pounds different 
Um, it disproves a lot of theories that are DNR when they say, oh, we want to improve a genetic pocket somewhere so they'll bring in deer from the Midwest into Tennessee or Michigan. Um, it, it absolutely disproves some of the theories with that. Um, just it, It's a lot of very scientific data that, that um, Dr. Strickland just lays out there in a way that's just very, very simple. And the thing about it is it pumps me up that listening to that data knows that what I'm doing makes a difference. The, the kicker is it's not a difference you can make with a flip of a switch. You know, it's a commitment of what you're doing year after year is going to start making difference three, four, five years down the road. Um, that episode is released. Um, he even talks about how minerals working. We, we touch on uh, um, CWD. And I'll give Don credit. Um, he, 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 and, he and Dr. Strickland did not talk beforehand. And Don just laid out there a couple ideas that Don's done on his property. And he said, well, kind of tell me what you think. And he was expecting... Dr. Strickland to basically say, nah, I don't think so. He goes, well, yeah, I agree with you a lot. I wrote a book on it like six years ago, and we didn't even know it. So the things that Don's been implementing on his farm, Bronson wrote a book on from his research study. I mean, just dumb luck, all that kind of fell together. Um, but for the land manager that thinks that you can't make a difference, this podcast is really going to give you hope. Um, it's going to kind of motivate you a little bit that says, oh, wow, you know, there's a reason the doctor makes um, uh, women when they're pregnant with, um, with a child take prenatal vitamins, right? Um, just, just it's, it's not a bunch of uh, talk over your head. Even a stupid guy like me could understand it. Um, but just it gives, it gives the average food plotter and hunter a little bit of hope that, hey, this little bitty things that I'm doing for habitat and food, it makes a difference, but how it makes a difference starts making a whole lot of sense. Well, I think it's this higher level stuff that I know Dave and I really appreciate, and and uh, obviously, I geek out on it. it I, yeah, I, I'm excited about listening to that podcast. 100. You're, you're gonna really like it. Yeah. And obviously, Terry, I mean, you've got some deep involvement with stuff that that's at a higher level. Whether you want to acknowledge uh, your your own uh, addition to that or not, uh, I think it's clear at this point that that you're a cog in that kind of thing. You know, it's, uh, it's awesome to hear all these things that are going on with, with you, with, with chasing giants. And obviously real world is kind of the, the pinnacle of next level technology and higher level science when it comes to, to food plotting and mineral and, and things of that nature. So, uh, super glad you came on to dive in on some of this kind of thing. And obviously you've already touched on a lot of the big platforms to, keep track of chasing giants but how about yourself i mean people are finding you interesting where can they keep up with terry peer to chronicle uh, a lot of what you've got going on over the coming months you know a lot of people have called me interesting before <laughs> it, did that happen at the doctor's office before too <laughs> it might have been after after the uh, post of the love swing <laughs> there you go my mom had me tested i'm interesting that's what the feedback was <laughs> oh, the, the first the first thing you can do is, is go subscribe to Chasing Giants. That's going to be the biggest platform to um, kind of um, where we're where we're putting our passion and our effort to. I do have an Instagram account, Terry Peer. I think there's an underscore in between it, and then um, my Facebook page, which ends up being a lot of softball and family stuff. But I am posting some of the cell cam stuff there because there's a lot of Facebook people that are interested in that. Um, 
just make sure you don't get my dad. Um, my my profile is Terry Peer. His is Terry L. Peer. So make sure you get mine. Mine's the one with the big buck wall on the on the side of a barn. So it's not hard to figure out which one I am. But um, those are the two places. But you know the real following is going to be um, Chasing Giants on YouTube, and then obviously the podcast. Um, as far as the deal with Real World, I'm I'm behind the scenes, guys. So. Uh, I don't have a whole lot. Actually, since Wes has come on, my role with the the company is is shifted a lot. He's he's really doing most of the day to day stuff and working his tail off uh, to grow the company. So he's done a great job, and the company has grown a ton this year, which is uh, it's actually amazing because I, I warned Wes and Don through COVID and what I was worried about with the economy and everything. But we we had an unbelievable year. We're closing out on the end of seed sales for the year just fantastic and we really appreciate the support our customers give us but we always say if 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 we educate people with the right data we have a really good shot at earning their business so i think that's going to continue to be our kind of motto well i know we've been educated and i I think some folks are going to really enjoy being educated on that episode that you just teased a little bit and uh as always terry it's been a pleasure hang with us through the break you're listening to pro talk outdoors Hey, everybody. Welcome to the closing segment here on Pro Talk Outdoors. I don't know that there's anything I can say, share, or point out at the end of this that wasn't already pretty well touched on in in detail. That was a a very full, effective episode. You know, here's what I really like. You know, you talk about humble. I mean, Terry's like, well, I don't know why anybody wants to talk to me. Well, you can tell why we want to talk to Terry. I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge. You know, in in the outdoor industry, JP, you and I, we've met a lot of people. And we've talked to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's probably not a more well-rounded guy than Terry Peer. You know, when you talk about, you know, as far as being grounded, humble, um, I almost said at one point, you know, in Kentucky, they got a governor, Steve Bashir, And I know I work in Kentucky, and a lot of people don't like Governor Steve Bashir right now. Andy. Is it Andy? Yeah. See, I don't even know his name. That's how much I dislike the guy. <laughs> but anyway, Andy Bashir. So I almost said Terry Peer for governor, man. <laughs> that guy, he could run for governor. He just says the he's, – he's just the – he's got the right attitude. He's got a good business sense. He knows how to kill some big deer. Well, that yeah, that's the thing. You know, a lot of these folks we've met are, you know, either, you know, just incredible big buck killers, but you wouldn't trust him to run a popsicle stand as far as a business goes. But, you know, it's like you said with Terry. I mean, he, he's very well-rounded. He's got his hands in, in a lot of uh, different things, but everything he touches or gets involved with uh, typically turns to gold. So, uh, you know, Terry's a guy that I don't want to say hitch your wagon to. You know, don't take advantage of the guy. But if you have a chance to build a relationship or, or be involved with him at any level, I would encourage you to to do so uh you know it's it's great to circle up with him he's he's remained good friends with us over the years and uh, i'm i'm anxious to see what he can pull off i think it might be a banner year for him well you know you can't count the guy out i mean he's had every kind of obstacle thrown at him you know bad leg uh we've got no excuses crossbow blowing up no no we don't you know we, we complain about oh man the farmer you know cut our field that we were counting on being grown up and stuff yeah. You know, we don't have anything. Mm-mm. We don't have no excuses, man. No excuses. No, we've got those first world problems. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Appreciate you listening. Until next time, hook them or hunt them. Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys. <laughs>